0: The truck! You are
1: listening to Why the truck.
2: Are you ready to truck it? It's time for your Nooner with Dooner. What is happening, everybody? Welcome to the show. We got an amazing one today, but before we get to it, I love to support the local teams out here, the local flavor, but I do it because the local teams support us and our children. Big shout-out and thank you to the Chattanooga Lookouts. They had um, the best students in Hamilton County out at the field. Hamilton County is the county we're in in Chattanooga. The best students in elementary and middle school were honored at the Chattanooga Lookouts game, got to walk the warning track, got to walk on the field, had the whole audience cheering the kids on for doing their great work um, and amazing work to my kids who are right there with us getting honored. Great job, guys. Congratulations to you. Now, today, a big topic is going to be uh, double brokering. You might notice my outfit. You know, this is an immersive episode. I hope you in the audience are all wearing track suits. I asked all my guests today to wear track suits. I don't know if they did that, but it might be a challenge because I put a poll up and I was curious, how many of you actually own track suits? And you know what? It's shocking. Only 20% of you do. Seventy-nine percent, seventy-nine point four percent says no, you don't own a tractor. What is that, one in five of you? Get on it, man. They got some good deals on these uh, Adidas ones. (laughs) On the show today, I'm talking about one of the biggest issues plaguing our industry, double brokering and load board fraud. Truckstop found reports of fraud jumped by 400% from the fourth quarter of 2021 to the fourth quarter of 2022. How can shippers and carriers fight back? We are from Metaphor's Ryan Schreiber and FreightWaves' Rachel Premack, as well as Justin Martin, as they shine a light on this topic. We're going to get all different opinions on that. In studio, we got the CEO and founder of Wabi, it's Raquel Urgeson. Um, aside from being a professor at the University of Toronto and, and starting Wabi, an autonomous vehicle company two years ago, she's been nearly four years as Uber's chief scientist in advanced technologies group. We're going to hear their why and their whole story. Plus, freight market may be getting less volatile. Florida immigrant trucking protest flops. Blitz week begins. Tesla's new robots. Awful TikTok recipes and a new method to strap. Let's get to it. Tip the band here. Supply so chain challenges are not always easy, but the commitment from the team at Dunavant Logistics to take on that responsibility is unwavering. Dunavant, logistically speaking, they're at the center of it all. Visit them at Dunavant.com. But right now we're going to visit with Rachel Premack, Editorial Director at Freightways. Rachel, do you own a tracksuit?
3: I don't own a tracksuit. I'm part of the 75% or whatever. When I saw that poll on Twitter, I immediately voted no. I don't know... What's the where? Where do you wear your tracksuits other than to go on with the truck for a double brokering
2: up? Oh no 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 no! I didn't. Some people online were like he. He bought this. suit. I have like a dozen tracksuits. We go out like the Royal tenon bombs to to eat. I find these things incredibly okay. comfortable, especially during the pandemic. Rachel,
3: it's a nice matching set situation. I feel like matching sets are definitely trendy, and I feel like tracksuits are the original matching set.
2: Ooh ooh. Well, it is a little warm up here with this thing on. I'm not going to lie to you, so I can sweat (laughs) off. Bear with me. Well, we had a lot of depressing market prognosis on our last episode. However, you wrote an article last week that said, could freight get less volatile? Tell us, Rachel, could it?
3: Yeah, so it seems as if shippers, especially those large enterprise shippers with freight spends of 10, 10 million or more, they're getting sick of this on and off thing where when the trucking market is really hot, they end up spending a lot of money on freight. They end up not being able to find capacity as easily. And then when things slow down, they can you know save a lot of money on, on freight spend. But at a certain point, even that capacity starts to wear out because or wither away because more and more companies go bankrupt or have to really slim down their operations. So it seems like these very large shippers are just getting sick of this and want to get to some sort of normalization. So the newsy element of this is that during this current uh, meltdown in spot rates, uh, we aren't seeing contract rates really uh, decline at the same sort of rate that you'd expect.
2: Yeah, Well, you know, that's what Zach Zach Strickland, our director of market intelligence and freightway, said contract rates have not experienced the free fall that he expected. I I believe that initially, just looking at this data, you thought that the the spot market, just submarining, falling into that abyss would drag down rates with us. But it doesn't seem to be accelerating as quick as it could, although there's a lot of pressure, right? RFPs have become almost perpetual, and we're seeing a lot of companies jump into RFPs early to capture these lower rates. What's happening there?
3: Yeah, so typically we would have a very regular RFP season, you know, in Q4 shippers would evaluate their freight spend, evaluate where the market's going, and engage in this sort of uh, negotiation process with carriers. And then by Q1 or maybe Q2 contracts would come online. Instead, what's happening uh, since the pandemic, we've kind of thrown that regular season out. It's returning to some degree, but more and more shippers and carriers are going with these quarterly contracts or monthly contracts and mini bids because they kind of feel that the market's always changing so instead of sticking to one rate for the whole year you kind of adjust as you go along um the other kind of interesting side of this is that last summer when we start to see when we started to see the spot market really fall a lot of carriers proactively went to shippers and said hey, we'll give you um, a decrease on our rates. We will we'll take all of this down. And the idea of that is you're kind of going to the shipper first and getting ahead of the market instead of having the shipper come to you when the market is that much worse and asking for a decrease. Um, and, and you know it's just not going to be a, a favorable situation, as favorable as it would be otherwise.
2: Now, in your article, it seemed like some shippers realized that Dragging down rates too much would kill their carriers would kill some of their good partners. So they've backed off a little bit or, or found equitable rates in that, that gap between the spot and the contract. However, there's also some shippers going for blood. What's that? What's happening there?
3: Yeah. 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 It's definitely, so there is one uh, shipper in the home building vertical who told me exactly what he said, quote, we're going for blood. They stuck it to us for two and a half years and it's payback time. So, as you can tell, they're in the home building space. They're a bit more tied to really volatile demand cycles, more so than, say, someone in manufacturing. Um, so a, a shipper that's going to be more tied to consumer markets or more tied to really volatile demand, they're probably going to be less likely to have these close and steady type of carrier relationships Um in addition, that the, the, uh, a smaller carrier is also something, or a smaller shipper rather, is uh, probably going to have less close partnerships with their carriers. So they are more likely to have these really volatile ups and downs. And now that it's a down situation for the trucking industry, shippers who might be uh, who do more spot market loads, they're going to be really, really pushing for these these steep discounts when it comes to their rates.
2: Interesting. You know, I was talking to uh, Tom Albrecht from Reliance Partners on our last show, and one of the things that came up was, was loans, the consumer, and how much pressure is being put on them. And I know inflation comes up a lot, but take a look at this, this chart on loan delinquencies, right? So there's a few here, and you can see auto loans are rising, um, credit card loans are rising, mortgages going up student loans they actually bottomed out they that was actually in my opinion the real stimulus to a lot of people i mean giving you like two checks for a thousand dollars in two years isn't really gonna save a lot of people but the average american pays four hundred dollars in student loans right rachel monthly and that's something they haven't had to pay for a while now however if the can doesn't get kicked down the road these are resuming in a couple months how um how disastrous is all of this
3: yeah, I think that student loan situation is definitely the most worrisome for me. For I mean, for me as I as I look look at the broader economy, especially because the folks with student loans, these are people who are kind of starting out their lives. They're in their 20s or 30s or 40s. They might be having they might be, you know, just starting out in their careers, trying to furnish their homes or trying to rent an apartment or kind of, you know, just get started more generally. But then you also have quite a few people who are in their 30s and 40s who have student loans who also are you know juggling daycare expenses or dealing with aging parents. So it's, it's certainly something that folks who are already in probably their more financially stressed part of their lives, this is just a new stressor. And for the past three years, they haven't really had to worry about it. And now that's coming back, that's something that's definitely going to slam a lot of household budgets.
2: Well, that's not the only issue going on in freight. The other big one is load board fraud. TIA President Ann Ranke, she says that reports of fraud she's hearing from the group's members are at levels it has never seen before. In fact, Triumph Pay, they're handling more than $23 billion in payments. They said over the last nine months, we could get calls... Uh, daily and hourly from brokers who would say we just caught someone broke uh, double brokering they say that this is a 500 to 700 million dollar per year problem to their members Mm
3: -hmm. yeah it's the double brokering issue is really interesting because it's not it it's not like one big heist or one big person that's involved or group that's involved it's all of these really small players you know kind of chipping away at what truck drivers are paid ultimately when it comes to the to the end of the day. but this is it's it's chipping it's 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 these sort of amounts that are probably in the hundreds, maybe even the tens of dollars, hundreds of dollars it's it's a low amount of money that's getting uh, siphoned away from carriers at each of these double brokering opportunities. but as you mentioned, when you put it all together it, it comes out into hundreds of millions and this is something that really is hurting truck drivers, especially as the market starts to starts to collapse.
2: Yeah, there's several aspects to it, too. There's there's two major types of load board fraud. There's the double brokering and there's the load fishing. Basically, how double brokering works is someone posts a load. Um, a broker comes and accepts it, pretending that they will be the one to actually carry it. But they don't. They probably don't even have any assets. They may not even have uh, the relationships you think. But they see margin, right? That's all they're in here. They're just playing for margin and for money. So they're reposting it. Some of these ones, the real danger isn't that they're going to steal your freight. It's just that they're putting it to someone that you might have on your DNU. It might be a carrier you don't want to use. It could be a carrier that gets into an accident and then you're suddenly liable. So there's a lot of dangers there. But then there's the version where it's just straight up outright theft, right? And that's where they, they completely scam you into switching carriers, switching what truck it's going on, switching where it ends up and rerouting your driver. His driver, he might not be a part of the scheme at all. He gets roped into this thing and now he's a part of a crime because he's brought the load somewhere else and it can be incredibly difficult to recover this freight.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really challenging. It's interesting because we do have several large players in the load board space But when it comes to those who are committing these sorts of fraud, well, first of all, as you mentioned, it can tie in people who are completely innocent, who don't know what's going on with this. But you can also, if you are one of the perpetrators of of these crimes, you can really quickly change your identity and shift your uh, identifying information really quickly. You can get a new MC number. You can set up at a new PO box location. Um, You can do all of these things to basically mask your past and you can just continue to go down this sort of fraudulent uh path and you can basically do this for for as long as you as you wish and if there's there's very little um accountability at the end of the day.
1: Well,
2: because it, it, look, it's not the easiest problem to stop. There's 16,000 freight there's more than 16,000 freight brokerage. Uh more than 400,000 registered motor carriers So, I mean, as, even as Craig put, there's a good chance that most of these companies have never done business with one another, and also we're in a business where like yeah. companies all have this, like so many companies have almost exactly similar looking names and freight. They're not like the most creative thing, so easy yeah, easy yeah. to get scammed over there. Um, so I guess the question then is, does this fall on the load boards, right? Do the DATs, the truck stops of the world, the convoys of the world, are they? How much should they be doing to stop to stop this?
3: It would appear that because they're the clearinghouse where these sorts of frauds happen, that they should be responsible for at least some sort of, you know, degree of of, cert- of, of certifying that, yes, this transaction is is not fraudulent, this transaction is honest, um, there should be some degree of regulation and oversight from these low boards. I think it would also be important for the FMCSA and the federal government to kind of step in and say, okay we're going to make it harder to to pull off frauds like this if you want to register for your mo carrier number or for a brokerage space. Like, you can't just have a PO box. You need to have maybe some sort of physical office. Um, and your physical office can't be the same address as 20 other phys- you know so-called offices. So I think, even though I think that would certainly um, be somewhat of an onus to legitimate businesses, I think that... Just having some more regulation on the um, federal side as well as on in terms of, you know, these large load board companies, both of those, some sort of oversight, some sort of communication would certainly be better than what's going on now, which is very little of each.
2: Yeah. you know, And one of the problems, too, is with the courts. Craig said that load board fraud isn't really well understood, even by a sophisticated investigator much less a jury if it were ever end up in a court system he said after all who would expect the massive 800 billion dollar truckload industry to still transact a sizable amount of commerce on a craigslist like posting board truer words have never been spoken rachel this is a tough issue we're gonna have to keep focusing on it but before i let you go i didn't hear you speaking with a british accent when you were stressed out a new report (laughs) says that gen z is speaking with British accents when they get too stressed out. And they use this example of uh, Kyra Green. She's 26. She said she uses a British accent to help her stay calm when she lost her boarding pass. So I guess she's speaking British to the the airline pilot. And Asher Lieberman, a 21-year-old dude, he says that um, he uses it to confront his roommate. And when he's on a bad (laughs) date... (laughs)
3: i've never done this i do watch love island and i love the like essex accent that they kind of talk about in that article i think it's it's amusing i personally have never done this but maybe i have and you didn't notice because my microphone was on mute at the beginning of the show so could be i I was doing it while i was muted and stressed out but no one
2: no one knows me too. I was speaking British when you were stressed out. Um, yeah. Do you do you think this would work out between these two, Kyra and Asher, if they went on a blind date and they both started speaking British, or would that be like an indication that it's off?
3: I think one of them needs to pull them pull them out of their stressed state. I don't think you can have two stressed out people using an unhealthy the same coping mechanism. One of them needs to pull the other one out. I think. I I mean, I don't know. Or else they would just end up only speaking. In a British accent to each other, and then I don't know. Maybe they can move to the U- UK, and then it would all work
2: out. Well, cheerio, I, Rachel Premack. I think your show modes is on, on at a fortnight tomorrow at, Thursday at yes. noon Eastern, 12, 2 p.m. Eastern. You thought it was on Tuesday yesterday. <laughs> I saw you on on TV. I keep I
3: keep seeing I keep, I keep saying Tuesday. I don't know why. Maybe that's my unhealthy coping mechanism. I say. Tuesday and so
2: Thursday. All right, Rachel, the goat has spoken. You're you're <laughs> out of time here. Take it easy. See you later. <laughs> Meanwhile, Alrighty. speaking of baseball, look at this kid right. Look, look at this kid right here. He gets stuck right up in the dirt. The the dirt devil right there, the dust devil. Maybe he's getting warped up to uh, Interstellar Planet to be like their best baseball player or something. Who knows? But thankfully, this umpire had his eye on the ball yesterday. Fortunately, no dust devils at um, AT AT&T Stadium for the Chattanooga. lookouts yesterday. Hey, joining me right now in studio. Just walked up. It's Raquel Erteson. She's the founder and CEO over in Chattanooga-based Wabi. Thanks for coming on here today.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: Now, I know Dustin. He's, he's been around here. I mean, he's such a lo- I run into him at like the Children's Museum. He's a man about town. But as I understand it, you came down by way of Toronto today. That's right. Where you are, uh, you're pretty smart. You have a Wikipedia page. I don't have it. <laughs> Ryan Schreiber doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Rachel doesn't. I, I don't have a Wikipedia page. And I learned on there that you're a professor over at the University of Toronto.
0: That's correct. Yeah, somebody did a Wikipedia page. What can I do?
2: Well, were you devastated when the Maple Leafs lost?
0: (laughs) I'm not into hockey. I'm probably the only person living in Canada that prefers basketball.
2: Now, that's not the only part of your story, too. You were also a part of Uber's advanced technologies Group. You spent nearly four years on that. And if I'm not mistaken, that was Uber's autonomous driving division. Correct. Yeah. Is there a story behind all this? How did you get focused on autonomy? Take me up until the point that Wabi starts.
0: Sure. Um, let's see. So I spent the last twenty-five years working in AI. Um, um, Some, you know, much older than I look, I guess. <laughs> and uh, you know, the last more than thirteen now in self-driving. So I got really passionate because you know it's going to transform the world. Really complex technology, and uh, you know, I know too many people that have had traffic accidents. So that's why I decided that autonomy was the place I wanted to focus. And, you know, then I was in academia for a very long time, really um, driving the next generation of technology. And at some point I decided that, uh, you know, I should join industry and really make an impact and deploy this technology. And I went to Uber for four years, was, uh, you know, a great experience. And then I founded Wabi to really bring, uh, you know, all that to fruition, you know, my my whole career into, um, you know, really deploying this technology in the world.
2: Do you remember the day you're like, Uber's cool, but I need my own thing, I need Wabi.
0: Uh, so it wasn't like a particular day, but, you know, it was a thought that has been for a while, you know, in my head. And, uh, you know, it became very natural to do it, uh, you know, the way, uh, you know, when, uh, when it was the time. And, you know, I started the company in International Women's Day, which is a, you know, very, I would say, uh, impactful day for, uh, you know, for a woman entrepreneur. There is not many of us, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, really exciting. We, uh, you know, we've been two years at this and uh, making tremendous progress.
2: Now, you just had an event, right? You had a Million Mile Driver Advisory Board event with real drivers. We're talking autonomous trucks, but there's real drivers here. What kind of feedback did the the real drivers give you, and and what goes on at a Million Mile Driver Advisory event?
0: Yeah, so the idea of this program is really to learn from the heroes of the roads into how to build the best product, how to build something that is really safe. Um, And, you know, they were very excited in terms of uh, really – Taking part of this next generation of trucking, I will say, and uh, also building the future of truckers together as well. Um, so it's been, you know, fantastic. Uh, I guess first event. There's going to be many more of those, and uh, you know, we learned some, uh, you know, so much from them, and uh, you know, from best safety practices to uh, what's really interesting to uh, to learn from them. Really, that what they care about is their legacy, and you know, making a dent in terms of making the road safer, regardless of who is driving.
2: So what is Wabi right now? You're not an OEM, right? I know you have a partnership with Volvo, but what is the product and how does your partnerships work?
0: Yeah, so our product is called Wabi Driver, which is basically composed of hardware and software. Uh, In terms of hardware, we integrate sensors and compute into the base platform that is provided by the OEM, say the Volvos of the world. Um, And then basically we develop the software uh, that drives the trucks autonomously without, uh, without a human driver. Um, so that's kind of the, the product offering. Um, and I guess together, you know, uh, we believe on deep partnerships with OEMs because you want to build a product that is robust, scalable, and safe from, from day one.
2: Now, you said you've studied AI for a while, and all the hype right now is about chat GPT, right? Nobody uh-huh. will shut up about chat GPT, it, it, you know, uh, iterative art, all those kind of things that, that they're uh-huh. doing with AI. Is that really a big leap? Has, have they been working on this for a, a, a while, or are you impressed by it? Does it help autonomous vehicles?
0: Oh, you have a fantastic question. So um, I think it's very exciting to see how AI is revolutionizing many, many things now and you know, achieving a level of performance that wasn't thought of possible before and really enabling also different ways for humans to interface or interact with machines. And I think yeah. that's why ChatGPT has been a fantastic example. Now, as it relates to self-driving, actually, uh, it's a very good analogy in terms of what Wabi is. Uh, uh, for example, um, you know, if you look at the industry, there is, um, I would say, two main problems today, uh, in terms of why we don't see self-driving deploy, uh, you know, in the real world, and is because the autonomy stack, uh, you know, the brain of the self-driving vehicle, um, doesn't generalize well to the situations. And also because you need all this manual testing, right? You need millions of miles of, you know, driving around and around to basically see or test whether your system is safe versus not. And every time you change it, then you need to do it again, right? So that's not a scalable, that's not a good solution. So coming back to the, you know, the, uh, I guess the AI story. So what WAV is providing is this next generation of technology where, you know, we provide a foundational model, the chat GPT or the GPT-4, if you wish, uh, for self-driving that actually drives our trucks and also, we provide the generative AI technology, the more um, uh, drawing-like, uh, if you wish, analogy. Uh, that is our simulator that can expose the uh, truck to all the possible situations before it goes on the road, so that it's much safer uh, by the time you even deploy in the real world.
2: What's the roadmap like? What are what are we looking at in terms of fleets really adopting this, moving out of the the pilot stage? I know there's a lot of there's a lot of driverless pilot pilot stages going on, but when when is this viable? When can fleets Start considering adopting this tech.
0: Yeah, yeah, great question, and uh, I guess it's the billion-dollar question in terms of you know the timelines and uh, you know. Um, uh, so the phase that we are now is in terms of our commercialization is really in terms of pilots, and there is some really exciting things that uh, we will be showcasing soon. Uh, not today, unfortunately, but very, very soon. Uh, But, you know, I think, you know, for us, it's very important that, you know, we build the customer and, you know, we we treat the customers as partners and we build this roadmap together because it's very important that the product that we are bringing to market is the right product for them. So it's a journey. It's not, uh, you know, pilots are just the the beginning, but there is much more to do than just, you know, a pilot for the sake of, you know, some uh, PR splash.
2: Now, Uh, can this tech help prevent Fraud and double brokering—it's a big issue today. Um, that's done with human drivers, and that, that's there, there's there's a lot of tricks that go on, usually through a load board. Can this help stop that?
0: So I think technology in general can, uh, you know, stop a lot of the, you know, at least some of the issues that we see in the industry today. Uh, for example, maybe one where it's more clear is. Uh, There is a lot of theft of cargo, right? If the driver stops for, you know, a rest stop or, you know, having a meal or whatever it is. Uh, So with autonomy, we expect that those trucks will actually be, uh, you know, driving uh, without those stops, right? So that's an example where it should be safer. Um, I think technology also from just digitalization should help and tracking of, uh, you know, trailers and tractors uh, should definitely help as well in terms of, you know, uh, for folks to actually make more informed decisions, but also to prevent some of these, you know, fraud as well. Uh, and I think in general, there is a lot of AI can actually do to detect uh, fraud.
2: Now, before I let you go, and taking a little bit of a poll. You don't happen to own a tracksuit, do you?
0: I don't. <laughs> but if you're going to give me one, I'm happy to I, take it. I'll give you
2: a hat. I do, have a, I do have a hat for you as a party gift. I do have one more question. What do you think the biggest hurdle this decade will be for autonomous vehicles, that, that the biggest problem that you're trying to solve right now?
0: Um, that's an interesting question. Um, so I think the uh, you know from the autonomy front, right, from the developers of EV solutions, uh, we need to not only build a scalable solution and show sure that it's really scalable, right, but also we need to show that the unit economics work, mm. which is something that we haven't seen yet. And you know, people assume in the industry technologies that. If I build this technology, everything is going to work out. Uh, but it's still to be seen whether we can make this uh, to be economically viable. Um, I would will, I will say that's probably the, uh, you know, the biggest, biggest hurdle. I think that the world is going to be a hybrid world where you're going to see human drivers and machines uh, driving for a very long time. Um, so I think that you know, from the perspective of jobs, et cetera, is, you know, I don't see that as a hurdle. I see that of let's build that future together so that we can actually provide better jobs for people. Wow, Well,
2: great message right there. Enjoy your hat. Thank you so much for coming down here. Enjoy all the beauty that the scenic city has to offer here in Chattanooga. Thank
0: Thank you you so much for stopping by. Thank
2: you for coming me. Take care. All right, everybody. we got a little shout-out to uh, the sponsor here. Send us the hard stuff. That's what Dunavant Logistics says. When you run into that really challenging logistical nightmare that keeps you up at night, get the good folks. Call the good folks over at Dunavant. They make headaches disappear. Visit them at Dunavant.com. Elsewhere, take a look at this. This guy's out in an open-sea kayak right here. He's out fishing. I don't know what all that gear is. Anybody out here a kayaker? I, Brian probably is. I bet he put a ah! big button in a kayak. Oh, and look, then the shark comes out of nowhere, takes a bite out of the dude's kayak. Now, I got a question. What do you think would be, like, more mentally um, disturbing? To be that child who almost got whipped away by the dust devil at bat? Like, would that make you strike out all the time? Or would getting, a, like, oh, nearly attacked by a shark in a kayak keep you out of the water? I'm not sure. I'd have, like, some Chief Brody fears. After that one. Anyways, it's my homie, Ryan Schreiber. He is a CGO at Metaphora. Still trying to figure out what exactly a chief growth officer is. Have you figured that out, Ryan? You and me both. No, yeah, no, I have no idea. It just sounds good. And when they put like a C, just, in, when they put a C in front
4: of your letters, you can't get I describe myself money. as a mascot, basically. Like, I'm just a fucking mascot. I'm just a mascot.
2: You're just a funky mascot, right? Of course he said funky. I'm just a
4: funky mascot, bro. Funky, funky is masc- Funky is all get out.
2: You know, I've asked every guest that to wear a tracksuit, and so far, uh, I'm whiffing on everybody. Where's your tracksuit?
4: Yeah, sorry, buddy. Well, I'm traveling. Like, if you had told me last week, maybe we could have made this work, but, like, I'm in Seattle today, so I didn't have it with me. I wasn't going to, I didn't have time to go buy one.
2: I think you could pull off, like, a velour one.
4: Oh, 100%. Yeah, definitely, bro. You could say juicy across my butt, of too. Of course. You know, like, we could go back to the early 2000s, bro. Oh,
2: bring it back. Bring it back. The world was a better place. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> Well, speaking of early 2000, all right, if Freight Tech were emo bands, who would be the My Chemical Romance of Freight Tech?
4: Oh, man, My Chemical Romance. Okay, so, you know, kind of uh, a little bit edgy, but like in an accessible way, you know, um, somebody – I'm in Convoy's office. I'm going to go with Convoy (laughs) kind of because Convoy's – here's why – you know, they're kind of like, they're a little bit edgy. They're challenging some like established, uh, you know, players, if you will, um, in, in edgy ways, but they're also like a really friendly, fun bunch. Like, if you know anybody at Convoy, they're like some of the nicest people in the industry. So, you know, it's not like really hardcore, like emo, you know, or like really hardcore, you know, but, but at the same time, it's got like a little bit more edge to it than some of the other, uh, maybe like emo bands.
2: <laughs> wait a second, then. Wait, wait, wait. Then who is the Gerard Way? Is it Graham or Dan?
4: <laughs> uh, oh, D- like Dan, yeah, for sure. Dan.
2: <laughs> Dan's a yeah, Dan. I love it. I can see him in the black parade the, there.
4: He wears the mascara all the time and stuff, you know? Yeah, he's
2: still in the eyeliner, of course, man. Yeah. The guy liner, it brings out yeah. the eyes. That's what I used to tell people. 100%, yeah. Well, Kevin, my chemical romance has won some awards. They'll probably end up in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, where we'll be in Cleveland, but you're an award winner too. Congratulations, sir. You won the, uh, you won, what did you win a Neil award based on your article. that said, uh, will or has my question is, will or your article is the Supreme Court decision on Sage Robinson will upend trucking. Did that, you wrote that in August. Um, did that happen? It's your prognosis in the award-winning article.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a long, you know, it, it's a trend that I've been tracking for a while. And I think, the point of the article was kind sort of that 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 no one is really uh, talking about this trend, um, and that uh, you know a lot of the kind of focus has been on things like AB four AB five and independent contractor law, uh, nuclear verdicts um, are all like obviously impactful for the industry, but this is actually a big one that that can really could really change what liability looks like and who has liability and then how many of the businesses in our industry operate. It's, listen, like it's a long-term thing. It's going to be a long um, trend to track to really say whether I'm right or not, I suppose. Uh, But, but we're still seeing, we're still seeing trends moving in that direction that broker liability is starting to look more like carrier liability. And then, you know that's going to continue to go upstream, absent something like tort reform, to bigger players, deeper pockets. So, yeah, I was excited to win the award, certainly. Uh, um, and and so like we'll we'll certainly see if I'm if I'm right or not. But it's definitely it, it's a trend. It's it's something that I'm tracking against, and and uh, and I'm curious to see what happens.
2: If you fall in hard times, how much does like if you had a pawn, your Neil award at a pawn shop, have you like assessed it? Do you know how much it would go for?
4: I would probably have to pay them to <laughs> take it off your hands. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, "Hey, can I like buy that thing, you know, off the shelf, and then you just we'll sh- switch it
2: out." No, right? They've been making up terms. They've been trying to shame people. Remember when there was like the Great Resignation, and employees started thinking they had some power? So the the media, the mainstream media, comes out with fake terms like quiet quitting, and they're like, "Oh, people, people are quiet quitting. Got to get them back in the office. They're not doing their job." Like. Mm-hmm. Dude, quiet quitting is not new. People like working just, they're not their yeah. regular nine to five punching the clock. I've worked in freight. I've worked with tons of entry writers. I've worked with tons of dispatchers. And one of the reasons I started learning new stuff is I, I look at them and I'd be like, how long have you been doing this? And they'd be like, ah, like four years. You know, I like, they like the stability. They like the, the, to collect the paycheck. They don't really want to go anywhere.
4: Yeah.
2: That's not new. Like that is not really a new thing, but you're hundred percent remote. You just connected with your remote team. What's the secret to your success? You know, it's, we went hundred
4: percent row. This is just part of our team here and like cross-functionally um, we have like some, uh, you know, product managers in here and engineer in here, partnerships. Obviously I do growth, whatever that means. It just means I'm tall, I think, and I'm fat. Um, I am getting fatter. My doctor told me last week. So maybe that's what growth means. But anyway, you know, I think that uh, we went before COVID we were a hundred percent in the office and a hundred percent people in Chicago um, and now there's maybe five of us left who were around before COVID and were all over the, the country and, and honestly all over the globe. And, you know, the, it, it, the key is just connecting with people on a human level. Like we trust our people to do the right thing. We invest a bunch in our hiring process to make sure that there are cultures and values fit so there aren't. You know, necessarily, like questions of whether somebody is working or not working, and then we set up our business processes to make sure that we can do the same uh, same level of work, and and then tech and apply technology where necessary to ensure that we can both engage people and stay connected, but be uh, you know be effective, uh, and then take opportunistically chances to get together. So, for instance, I'm out here in Seattle. I'm Uh, meeting with a couple of companies out here and we have some team members here. So let's look up, I'll look them up and I find time to get dinner and we get those folks together, you know, somewhat uh, ad hoc. So, you know, really the key is just like recognize that everyone's human and also recognize that your business might need to change a little bit to really make sure that you're connected to your remote people.
2: Yeah. Right. The comments are giving me heat. They're saying that, you know, my, my double broker outfit, well, it's kind of on point, it's missing a gold chain. So, let me add that yeah. on here before we jump in, into this topic. That's All more right. of like that's more of
4: like a wrapper gold chain. You need well, like a thinner, you know, like kind of more, you know, thinner gold chain. With it's the best I got. It's also do... missing a lot of chest hair. The, the the hair that's on your
2: face needs to be. Well, I look, I, look, I, look, I can, I can pull it down. Here you go. Here's a little chest hair for Yeah, there I, we that's go. That's not going to look we right. We need
4: that. That's right. Mm-hmm.
2: I do need like yeah. an 18 inch chain. But you know, I won this chain, and we used to have a game show on Freight TV called Off the Supply Chain, and I won more times than anybody. Yeah, so I remember.
4: I, I
2: kept the chain over here. I wanted
4: to be on that show. I'm really. We should bring it back. I was like, I wanted to be on it. That was before, you know. Yeah, I don't
2: know why we don't. times. I don't know. I don't know why we don't. We get a lot of two people talking shows. We need some game shows, man. We need to. We need some different totally. content. So I got to ask you. You're, this could be awkward because you're you're in you're in convoy right now. So so you might have to speak softly. But our load board's broken. <laughs> yeah. To be clear, like this is
4: not this is not convoy. I don't work for convoy, and this yeah. is in their stance and whatever. Sure. You know it's not that load boards are broken. Load boards are doing exactly what load boards should do, right? Any good company is trying to get you in and keep you in their ecosystem, right? And so while business practices of certain companies may be anti-competitive or what have you, who knows? Um, I have my opinions, what have you, but they're doing what they should do in many respects, right? Their job is to load boards is to aggregate capacity from whomever they can and present it to you. There are things, again, from a business practice perspective, I think they could do better, but they're under no obligation to do any of those things. They're there to present you capacity. So really, I think what's we could sit here and blame load boards and and, and point fingers at load boards, but any good product is trying to get you to use their product more and pay more money for it. And that's what a load board does. So what's broken is the way in which companies engage load boards. And they really, I think, companies need to look inside the four walls of their business and you know, look at how they're applying technology, look at how their operating model affects their use of technology, and find ways to reduce their own reliance on load boards and find ways to apply technology and process to cut down on double brokering, etc., if we look for other people to solve our problem, it's not going to get solved. The FMCSA is not coming to help us. Like, they're just not, right? I mean, let's just accept that as a fact. If they do end up coming to help us, that's great, but they're probably not going to. So, we have to solve the double program problem ourselves. You know, if, if we're mad at the load boards because our people use the load board too much, is that really the load board's fault? Probably not. That's our people's fault. And that's, well, that's our fault as, as businesses. So, you know, we need to look at those things and apply technology to solve those problems in different ways and um,
2: and look inside the four walls of our business. So
4: I realize that's probably a hot take. You probably expected me to say yes, but but that's why I would say no.
2: But I mean, is there any recourse that load boards should be taken? Let's say I'm on eBay, right? And I and uh, I mean, Craigslist is probably more apt comparison. But let's say I'm on eBay and I order something and they send me a brick, right? I'm probably gonna have some recourse at least with, with eBay, but like that doesn't happen through load boards. Does it?
4: Buyer beware, man. Caveat emptor, right? Like buyer beware. You have a responsibility for yourself and your business to, uh, you know, to make the best business decisions. Look, I mean, we were, you know, when I, when I was a freight broker, right, when we were freight brokers, if I called my customer because the truck was running late and I said, man, you know, like these drivers today and, and, and like, you know, or my, my carrier sales rep or what have you, the customers like looking, you know, looking at me, but looking at the computer saying, well, I picked you because you told me that you knew what you were doing. And so I, I don't, you know, listen, morally kind of like ethically, do I think these people should do, do I think that the load board should do more to vet out fraud? Absolutely. I do think that they should, but should, and what they're obligated to do are two different things. And I genuinely believe that we can, we can and should look inside the four walls of our business and do everything that we can do to root out fraud. Everybody likes to talk about how they love capitalism. It's a market, they've made a market, they've created a market, but now you want them to self-regulate that market. You want them to install regulations in their own market, that's, you know, kind of incongruent with what we want from a free market. And so in some senses, and so I think that, that really the right way to solve the problem is to look inside the four walls of our business. And here's the, the best part about that, Dooner, is the companies that are willing to do that, they can create a competitive advantage. I mean, what's the number one question you get on a sales call? What's your differentiator? Yeah, And one of your differentiators can and should be how you vet, the liquidity within your capacity network and how you ensure quality service. Typically, you say service, right? But what does service mean? And so if you can really talk intelligently to how you are ensuring and creating an environment of secure transportation services for your customers as an intermediary, that's meaningful.
2: I mean, carrier vetting itself can be very controversial. There's a number of programs out there, but then there's a lot of drivers who push back and they go, hey, docking me for not having, you know, inspections, especially with a smaller carrier, is not necessarily fair. And I know people personally who've gotten yeah. kicked off certain load boards because they didn't have enough inspections. They're like, wait, you're telling me I got to go yeah. out and get an inspection to have this happen. So for load boards to take on that problem, too, it could be a challenge. But is, is there something they can do is like or, or that you can protect yourself from this? It's an imperfect system,
4: like, right? I mean, we're we're learning as we go. And one of the challenges uh, in the industry, right? Or, or one of the challenges in making data-driven decisions is that you likely need multiple data points to increase your confidence interval, that whatever data-driven decision you're making is the right one, right? Like if your wife came home late one day and, you know, unexpectedly doesn't mean she's cheating on you. You probably want more data points to suggest that she's cheating on you, right? And so similar concept, you want multiple data points. So looking at one thing like inspections by itself in the abstract to tell you whether or not a carrier is actually operating freight on the US highways is not is not you know, a high enough confidence interval necessarily to say yes, they are or no, they're not, right? Both of those things. And so... The best way to solve this problem is through the application of technology, and and putting your trust in one system again would just be one data point where there are conflicting incentives. So there's technology solutions that can help you with this, and data solutions that can help you with this. I mean, Highway is a great example. Just to shout out one company specifically, you know, there's but there's Carrier Sure. There's there's other folks who are working on the problem right now. And those can be helpful for you as well in identifying the right or the wrong solution for your, your group of, or your, for your company specifically. But I don't want DAT making or truck stop making or any of the other ones making my internal business risk decisions. That should be that, that, that's something that we need to take on to ourselves and really focus on as a again, as 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 industry participants.
2: Ryan, when you get stressed, do you speak in a British accent?
4: I, I speak in a cat accent.
2: Okay. Let's hear it.
4: Meow. Uh, you know what I need? I need to, I I need that. The last woman who was on, I need to know where she got her shirt. So if she's still around, can you ask her for me? Okay. Uh, But yeah, that's, that was me saying, thanks for having me dinner.
2: Oh, okay, well, th- thank you for coming that, on. Yeah, that
4: uh, that's what that meant because it was the cat accent, right? Ryan, was, I
2: don't know if we got the gif out of this episode like we did last year when you were doing the, the peanut butter and, and, and jelly. We're, we might have to try harder next time. Oh, yeah, here's Batman, an update. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Bringing it back for the people at home, brother. Hey, well, hey, you have, you have, by the way, did you see the lineup for Riot Fest out in Chicago?
4: Yeah, it's going to be great, man. Although, like, until brand, brand new needs to come back, brand new needs to get uncancelled. When Brand New gets uncancelled, I'll be there.
2: They can play with uh, like Corey Feldman's going to be on that set too. Can you believe it? Yeah, that's Corey. insane. But, but I'll Corey see Feldman, the Mars Volta, and and Brand New. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All
4: right, buddy. I'll see you in Cleveland.
2: Yeah, see you in Cleveland, my man.
4: All right, let's talk to
2: Super Trucker. What's up, man? Where, where, where is your tracksuit? Nobody, no ever, ever left me hanging on the tracksuits today. I'm wearing the uniform of the people who run into the guys wearing tracksuits. Okay, so you're the trucker. Hey, bro, bro, I got a loan for you $1,500. Get send over there. No, the I'm, the, I'm, the dis- I'm the dispatcher that just got ripped off by a double broker. Oh, send us. A- That's please' advice. <laughs> well, speaking of that, let's stay on that topic of, of double brokers. A lot of chatter online. I know that you were in a Twitter space last night talking about everything. Mm-hmm. What are people saying online on this topic? We got, we got Ryan's perspective on the, the the load boards and what they can actually do. And from his perspective, it sounded like they, they can't do much. Um, There's a we, had, we we laid out the issue with Rachel, but what what are the people who are impacted by this? What are they saying?
5: There's a lot of tension between somebody needs to do something versus do we really need more regulation? Because there's like a, a an attitude of regulation isn't going to solve all your problems, or more regulation will just bring on more problems. But this is such a huge problem that I think enough people are saying enough is enough. And either either there needs to be a load board that is like the PayPal to eBay to fix this, or there needs to be more um, more power given to FMCSA to to fight these guys. And I really don't know which one's going to win out.
2: Yeah. Which one would you like to see when out? And speaking to Ryan, he said, look, the reality of it is it's your freight. It falls on you. You can't yeah, wait I with would, these low bores save I would, it. I would prefer to see something like a PayPal
5: to eBay uh, situation where eBay's first conundrum when they started was, how do we get strangers to trust giving money and, and goods back and forth to each other on the Internet? And so they teamed up with PayPal. And PayPal was kind of the intermediary between, okay, we're going to ensure your purchase on this website and then they collect like a small nominal fee on the side. So with, with as much freight that gets moved around, you know, if, if somebody decided to become a new PayPal type system, I have no idea what it's going to look like. But with as much freight that gets moved, that's that's money sitting on the table right there. As long as you can guarantee, you know, the, the person that you're you're brokering with is, is legit. Yeah.
2: Huh. Well, you are wearing the outfit of a dispatcher today. Uh, let's hear <laughs> from a dispatcher and how the freight recession has hit them.
1: It has been a day, a day. It is not often that I get just flat spanked by moving freight, but it whooped my ass today. We've all heard everybody talking about the low rates because they. I'm not gonna say they can't go any lower, knock on wood, but they are record-breaking awful. But what I haven't seen a lot of people talking about is the lack of fright. And I, I, am, I am flabbergasted. I've heard some millings about, about it. I've heard people discussing it a little bit. I make it a point to read at least one article a day on the industry. Um, and I watch analysts and trends and things like that because I, the better informed I am, the better I can care for my drivers. And I haven't had to deal with it until today.
2: Wow. So first yeah. I got to say about her is she just heard about it now. She obviously isn't reading, you know, she said she reads articles. You're not reading Freight Waves. You said you listen to industry yeah. experts. You're not, I'm not going to call myself an expert. I'm an S poster and a podcaster, but I bring experts on the show. So you're not listening to this one either. Yeah. No, you, you read the
5: comments to that video. Half the comments are there's plenty of freight still out there. And the other half is you must be new with this, you know, you can't come into this without knowing what's really going on. Yeah.
2: Uh, so what do you think? You think she's she's in big trouble if she's just figuring this out now?
5: Yeah, yeah. You know, waves has been screaming about this for over a year. Drivers have been saying this for almost as long. Um, You need to talk to your drivers. You know, you, you can't be
2: caught off guard in a, in a market like this. You know, back in – trucker protests are nothing new. There's a ton. They get They get – whipped up all the time over on Facebook or whatever group, they often turn political really, really quick. They get hijacked. A lot of scam donations, all those things. In fact, the only one that really even got any... Traction and did something was the Freedom Convoy, and I think that's because that was a message that people outside of it could maybe jump into, especially at that time in both America and Canada, and how people were feeling about mandates uh, in the beginning of 2022. But now they there's they try to drum up this freight boycott in Florida. Uh, what was it about the immigrant immigration boycott? What happened there It was a total bust.
5: Absolutely nothing. Um rejections right now are so low that you know the the talking point of saying no to cheap freight is just out the window anyone that's saying no to freight to florida there's going to be a thousand people behind them saying yes here's one of those people let's roll this clip right here
3: good afternoon everybody it's rick santiago i'm going to let you know that the truckers movement for justice is actually in full effect i have 500 different owner operators coming from st louis missouri
2: alone How many times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man?
1: I love the young people.
2: (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of allegations. Allegedly, there's a lot of allegations about Rick Rick Santiago and and taking money from people and doing this all the time. In fact, when there were other protests that were being drummed up, spinoffs of the Freedom Convoy, he was one of those people that was trying to get those things off the ground. That went nowhere.
5: Yeah, no, this this thing happens like every six months, I would say, here. Um, We had a guest on last year that said that, you know, Trying to herd trucks is like trying to herd cats, but you can do it with the right catnip. And I think that's what set the Freedom Convoy apart from a lot of the American protests is that there were so many people just fed up with the um, restrictions that, you know, enough was enough. I don't think we're as bad as things are right now. We're still nowhere near that point uh, in, the, in the States. <laughs>
2: It, it Yeah, it, it's getting bad. Nobody's sitting. In fact, Blitz Week is this week, right? And there's all these people yep. on LinkedIn that are posting. They're posting on Monday. Oh, hey, we have plenty of capacity for you. Unlike everybody else, our drivers aren't sitting. Listen to me, guys. Rejections are two point five percent. You don't have to flex right there. No. Nobody is sitting this blitz week. Nobody is talking about sitting this blitz week. Have you heard anybody? The usual suspects, the people we are, know when they have a few coins in their pocket, who always sit this out, they take vacations. Uh, they haven't even mentioned it. They're like, now nah, we're just we're, we're running. The, the money's not good.
5: Yeah, no, and we, we've we've talked to custom drivers that have had inspections,
2: and it's you know business as usual right now. Yeah, I asked Tony I asked uh, Tony Mulvey from FreightWaves Now if they're seeing anything in sonar. Is anything in the data indicating that drivers are taking that time off? He said, you know, over the weekend, the only thing that you could see was that shippers were a little nervous that they would, so spot rates went up slightly, but when they realized capacity yes. was free and everywhere, they dropped down immediately. They're right back, the rates are right back down today because it's hard to trick the market. It's like when people say, like, FreightWaves dictate. No, we don't. You guys dictate the market. You people booking freight <laughs> dictate the market.
5: Yeah, I, I think uh, Memorial Day weekend will have a bigger impact than uh, this week will.
2: We, talk, we give the robot dogs a lot of shade. And I agree with you on Memorial Day. That's an actual vacation this year. Drivers might take an actual yeah. vacation because, like, why not? we sitting out Blitz Week, which is more of a driver um, vacation. <laughs> we talk about the robot dogs and, and how scary and dangerous they are. Tesla now has their Optimus robot, some bipedal ones. Let's take a look at this thing in action. They uh, showed off. Uh, they first debuted this thing back in September. It's uh, supposed to be twenty thousand dollars or less. It's five foot eight, one hundred and twenty-five pounds, so he could still kick its ass. Um, but the, I guess the improvement here is they got the joints and the hands better. Do you like the Tesla robot? Are you excited about these? It's it's funny
5: watching how they walk. You know, it's kind of like a toddler. But twenty thousand dollars—that's pretty cheap. I don't know what the capabilities of these things are. Like I don't, the the hands don't really look all that dexterous. Um so, at this point this this still all looks kind of like a a tech demo. oh there we go yeah, we got some fingers but um you know they they always talk about like the mechanics shortage right now. if they could get one of these up under a car and fix it for twenty thousand dollars i mean you're t- you 're talking about you know thousands of of mechanics being replaced with these things.
2: yeah, well, hands, you know when I went to the one of the first interviews I ever did when I was an independent podcaster was with a company called Six River Systems, and I asked them about their robot Chuck, which is a cart that falls your own warehouses and lifts up. And I I said, why did you focus on cart? This thing doesn't even have hands. It has no way of grabbing anything. And they said, because hands are really, really hard. That's like the holy grail. What our hands can do, the amount of pressure we can put on things, the, the amount of things like... Listen to me, break your hand and you'll, you'll, you'll realize how awesome and useful your, your hands are. Legs as well. Legs are really hard to replicate. You saw, remember that other robot we saw? With the, it had the, the kangaroo legs, the one that was at yeah. ProMat or one of those, or ACT, one of those conferences last month, and it, it dropped dead. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, you saw in that video, it, it had the leg come down on an egg and didn't crush it. So, you know, that's, they're
2: not talking about just how strong the robots are, but also how gentle they can be too. Yeah, it can control its, uh, its, its weight a little bit. I don't know. I mean, I was promised the future of robots in the 80s. They just seem to look more scary now. Although those don't bother me as much as, as the robot dogs. Something about those just... We need, we need more Will Smith AI robot movies. Now, let's take a look at this person. I always rate the strap work, but now we're going to rate the strapping method. Play this video.
0: What? No way. F- sake, we're going to have to try this. I'm always just tying knots. I got a strap. Come on. I don't have to tie anything down per se, but we're gonna set this up on the welding truck here. Okay, so we got her strapped. Let's try it. Okay, so I got it wrapped up. You stick it under, you pull it through, and then. Roll it up. For f- sake, oh. It's. And tightening up, what? <laughs> no way, <laughs> For sake that easy. I didn't go any. Fuck. I spent so much time just tying up the loose ends, and that was simple. All right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Was that beeping a uh, good way to shrap? Is that dangerous? Is he taking a shortcut or is that, that fine? Absolutely. This this is like where social media
5: shines. You know, it, I love seeing like the hive mind stuff and accounts like this where they find stuff that, you know, people think is like common knowledge, but like so many people had no idea. Love it. You love to see stuff like that.
2: Huh? When's the last time you went on a picnic and did anything like this happen? Sound up. My last pick did not go anywhere near like this. <laughs> Dukes of <a> Hazard style.
4: <laughs>
2: when you do a pit maneuver, aren't you supposed to keep control of the cop car? Like, he did the pit, and then he goes flying up the hill, almost running these guys over.
5: <laughs> I love the—I uh, think the caption of this was directed by Michael Bay. Yeah, it enough went... explosions, though.
2: No, not enough explosions. Fortunately, not a lot of shooting. Nobody got killed in this particular uh, yeah. incident right there. Yeah, I haven't had a— um... I haven't had anything go that awry. Now, let's say uh, di- being a dispatcher doesn't work out or or this doesn't work out. Let's take a look at this recruiting video of the Coast Guard because this has me almost wanting to join the CGO. Look how hard this video goes. Sound up, boys. What do you think here? We're watching, like, the icebreakers going on. They must be, like, you know up in the Arctic Sea or something. They do a good job of showing off the boat, but...
5: They don't show what anyone on the boat does, and I think that's where like the American military recruitment videos shine. Is you're watching guys like jump out of helicopters and you know run through obstacle courses and like run through brick walls. This thing is chewing up the ice for sure, but like, okay, what do the people on the boat do? It needs like a jack guy pulling a rope really fast, getting like yes. rope burned, you know, turning yeah. wheels and stuff like that. It's just I showing w- I the muscle. I want to see somebody ripple. with a sledgehammer like
2: you know banging the the bolt that like releases the anchor. I want to see sweat glistening, you know, off these guys. You're right. This is more of a boat commercial. This is more of like, how good is the boat icebreaker? Their marketing yeah. agency sort of failed here.
5: This was right. this was a video that was made by boat nerds for boat nerds, which more power to them. But if you're trying to get people, you got to have people in the video.
2: Very well. All right. Now we don't want to leave everyone. It's a Wednesday. You might be thinking about getting a snack. Let's let's roll this recipe. Let's see if this would be any good soup. So I'm starting off here. Sh- I have no idea. <laughs> Why put the chocolate on the outside? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that she, like, you know, when you make a Sunday like friendlies. I don't know if you guys have friendlies out here. We have friendlies out in Massachusetts. Yeah. Okay. You know, you you put the chocolate on the inside of there, and it creates sort of like that marbling effect. And now she. Maybe on the, on the outside, if it gets cold, she can break off the chocolate. But in the meantime, you just make a huge mess. What was the brown liquid? Was that like Jagermeister or Coke or the? then she put some water in here, and then she put some caramel. She's putting whipped cream. Just my, my blood sugar spike just watching. I think she just realized she screwed up. If you look at her, her hand, yeah. like, and she's like, oh, wait. Because <laughs> she, she can't pick the glass up. She still kept it, though. All right, well, everyone, yep. thank, thank you for joining us on What the Truck. Subscribe it wherever you get it. Sorry about the beginning of the show. We'll edit it out. Take care.